unless you live under a rock, you have probably heard about security threats, online scams, phishing, and so much more happening, especially in the world of Web3. Maybe you even know people who have been on the receiving end of such scams. Maybe they have lost money. Maybe they have lost personal data. So my question to you is what can you do to protect yourself, to protect your friends, family, your company, your business, your startup from such security th threats, especially if you work in a Web3 environment, a blockchain, a crypto environment, how do you protect yourself? And that's why on this episode of Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast, I interview Roger Fisher. Roger is the founder and CEO of Hadrian, which is a security company that helps protect startups, companies from security threats. And they do it from a hacker's perspective. So today I ask him, you know, how do hackers think? What are, what is maybe one of the most important things you can do today, right now to protect yourself? And a lot more security related question. So if you are someone who values their own privacy, their data and their funds, then this episode is for you. Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities, and my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building? What are they paying attention? So you can take advantage of it. So you can benefit from it. However, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice. I would still highly encourage you to do your own research. I have nothing to sell you. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. So, Roger, it's always great. It was a pleasure to talk with you last time as well. And I've been looking forward to talk with you and learn more about Hadrian and mainly learn more about security and what's going on and, you know, what are the vulnerabilities, how can people protect themselves and all that. But first, tell me a bit about your background. How did you end up doing what you're doing right now? I, that that's already by itself quite a, an elaborate question right there. But, but I, I I grew up in in the Netherlands, and when I was younger, and we're talking probably when I was twelve or thirteen years old, at some point there was a change in regulations, whereas the government basically challenged people and specifically hackers. They said, "Well, if you can hack a company, that's all good. If you tell it nicely." It's, it's literally not illegal anymore. And, and that was basically a change in, in regulations. At that point, it was probably one of the first countries in the world that did it. It's actually very recently, I'm, I'm talking about two weeks ago, it, it was passed in the US. So it's, it's and, and, and we're talking about this probably uh, around 14 years ago in, in the Netherlands. So that's that's around the time I got really into, into well, the, the ethical hacking, trying to break into companies, show them how I did it, tell them how I did it. And, and yeah. Follow up with potentially getting a very sweet bounty, which obviously as a teenager was, uh, was what I all was doing it. So yeah, that, that's, that's basically where running time started. It was 
It was mostly uh, Dutch companies at the time, financial services. And so the big tech firms like Google, Microsoft, PayPal, Yahoo, they all started implementing similar policies a year or two later, which is also the time that I got, got involved in a more international deal. And yeah, everything that followed up to also obviously being in the circuits a bit and getting introduced into crypto potentially a bit earlier than, than the rest of the world. That, that's, that's basically how it all started. The change in regulations. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to share this story with my um, eight-year-old who's really into into computers and learning programming and trying to create his own games and stuff. He would love to do something like that. How you say that, you know, how for a teenager, it's like to win a bounty like that and all that. So so tell me a bit about now about Hadrian. What sort of things that you guys do at, at Hadrian? Yeah, so so just to to quickly back up a, a, a bit, right? Because Hadrian is a uh, company I've, I've been working now for a year, but during between my time as an ethical hacker and Hadrian, I was I was actually running another company and it was in the crypto space. It was well, well similar to what Coinbase is doing in the US. We were doing it in the Netherlands, and basically one of the things that we identified, obviously we were in under constant threats or cyber constantly from the beginning that we started. You have this this big stand of of a Bitcoin around you and, and that makes you a target. And, and, and there's obviously there's many amazing security companies out there, but there's really not that much out there that, that's informs you on, on the most recent threats in a continuous manner and also monitors that for you, right? So really understanding how does this hacker right now with the existing hacker, but it's not, not little threat two years ago. There's many companies that can tell you what two years ago was threatened the real time. What is today's market? The, the most recent threat, and 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 then you have to realize that the most common threats companies face are these automated testing tools, and and it's it's just hackers from all over the world that are looking, listening all of the internet for companies. They're not necessarily targeting companies, but just looking at every single company in the world, looking for a common vulnerability or a common threat. Well, yeah. What we, what, what we realized, uh, together with my co-founder of Becker is like, we can monitor that traffic, understand what's going on, and therefore give a much more real-time sense of what threats companies are currently facing. So what, what we're combining here is, is, is something that's not unique, but it's, it's relatively new, it's about a tech service management, which is something that, well, for example, BitSide is, is doing it in the US, Cyber Italy in the UK, um, Asinodes is, uh, is very cool company in, in Australia that does it. Um, but there, there's, there's actually quite a couple of companies that do it. But it's, so, so I'm saying it's not unique, but we're, we've also doing that. But what we've combined it with is with the threat intelligence that we gather from all of it. So we monitor traffic. We, we start to monitor these, these automated penetration tests. And yeah. from that moment on, what we, we, we start recognizing it, trying to simulate that behavior, and then, and, and then also execute of testing and simulating uh, those tests on other clients' textures. And this, this, in the end, should give a much more real-time insights on, on your on your threats around your textures. I also want to emphasize that like, we're, we're now eight months in. It's a very young company. A lot of what I'm just saying is 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 theoretical in nature. Obviously, we can we we, we can now start recognizing some some of these threats. But uh, the internet is a vast space, and we're, we're definitely yeah. not there yet. But this is the this is the premise, right? The princess, there's, there's threats that you can recognize out there. We want to be much more real time in, in understanding that and, and giving us insights to the customers.
yeah, yeah. How do you know what traffic is being generated by the the hackers looking for vulnerabilities so that you can track it? <laughs> it's a, it's a very good question, and and actually, it's not that difficult. Um, basically, I could tell you that the majority of traffic that we will analyze is actually front page, and it boils down to the fact that. If you're looking for a website as a, as a, just, just a ready visitor of a website, the traffic is very, very clearly uh, a packet that is meant to just uh, show you some data, some HTML website. But if there's an exploit included or there's certain words included in in that packet or in that traffic data, that well, then you can start to recognize that there might be so some type of threat going on. Very common things that people are looking for are certain password files, for example. Well, then in the, if, we, if we start recognizing those password files in, in, in a request, we know that it's it's potentially a user day attack or something like that. Oh, very interesting. Um, yeah, that 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 makes um, a lot of sense. The other things that I was reading your website and it says that you guys do security from like a hacker's perspective. So. Yeah, I'd love to know what is that sort of hacker's perspective? How do <laughs> hackers see the world? Hey, hey, again, in the end, uh, so it's, if, you, if you start a company and you know as well as I understand, you, you have to use some, some marketing sometimes uh, to get your message across. Uh, when we're talking about the hacker's perspective, what we're, what we're really saying is we really depth focus on doing stuff from the outside. So whenever we work for a customer, there's never any sort of um, permission or access granted from their side of the table. So we're, we're leveling the playing field with, with the, the actual adversaries in that sense that we're looking from the same perspective as a cyber criminal would. Yeah, yeah. So that that makes a, yeah that makes a lot of um, sense. And then I, I have like a practical question. It's like just as a as a normal sort of a person on the internet, what can I do to protect myself? I mean, Sam, uh, honestly, there's so many things you need to do to protect yourself. But I, I, I think that especially if you're talking in the Red Three space, it's it's one of the the, the, the most dangerous spaces <laughs> to be on in you didn't on, on, yet. on the internet. It, it is literally in the wild west and, and, and there's a lot of malicious activity going on. Right. So, and, and, and on top of that, I think that the responsibility for a lot of security features lies with the platforms that people use. Right. So there's this element inside friend recognition, understanding when, when someone maliciously logged into your account and stuff like that, that's something that you as a user really can't do much about. And, and you have to check whether the companies that you are working with actually have those policies in place. There's one, there's one hint and something that I, I, I often tell people is the first thing, you know, if, if, if there's, if there's nothing else that you want to do, but there's one thing that I've allowed, uh, that you allow me to force up on you. And then I always say, I can tell you what, you need to do fay on everything. I know that you're not going to do it. So please do two fay on your private email address. If there's one honey pots of data and one honey pot of access it's your private email address you don't have to avail some random small liquefied protocol that's fine but the moment i have access to your email address i can reset the passwords and if i can reset the password i basically have access to uh, almost everything 
And, and in my experience, one of the most common threats that we saw was phishing of companies. So, so, so it is, uh, managers practice was doing phishing, but they did phishing initially on your private email address. So they were not phishing for your Coinbase account. They were not phishing for your Binance account. No, they were phishing for your private emails initially. And once they have access to that, then, then there's a, a bunch of different attacks that, that, that people follow up with, but the private email is, is definitely the, the most common denominator in, in, in yeah, these that, types uh, of that, That's sort of the, the weakest link in a way, because once they get, as you said, get access to that, they get access to everything. The most common phishing that I have seen, it was, it's, it's reduced a lot now. It used to be on all the Discord channels. So people will message you as customer support that, you know, if you're having any trouble with any of the projects or you are trying to reach someone in the customer service of a company and they provide customer service through Discord or, or a social channel like that, like could be Slack, could be anywhere. And then they will, people will reach out to you, changing their name as XYZ company discord or support or something. And then you'll think that they work for the company. They don't, they just have a very similar with a spelling mistake name in their name. And then they will se send you to a phishing web page, which looks like a company page, but it's not. If you look at the URL, there's one character different or something. And then they get you to enter your MetaMask or something or whatever your digital wallet is, trust wallet or whatever it is that to get support, to get your problem solved, open a ticket here and it, log in with your MetaMask or whatever. And once you do that, they do clean it out. So that's phishing is the most common and it's not the MetaMask or your digital wallet that's been compromised technically. It's just the human giving the password <laughs> to the phishing website. <laughs> that's what's happening in, in many cases. That's what I have come across or seen happening. And when you talk about sort of security, what about companies? What can startups do in Web3 space or even in the Web2 space? Or you, if you've got a tech startup, like most of the listeners of this uh, podcast are in fact tech startup founders, okay. Web2 and Web3, what can they do to protect their team, their company data, and their consumers, their users, clients, all that stuff? So, I mean, that, that's a very good question again. And honestly, there's a big difference between Web2 and Web3. That, that's the reason I say. I think that for both though, the biggest is always going to be awareness. Right? It's always got to make sure that your team is aware of these kind of threats. I have examples of, of companies I know I've worked with where people in the company, employees were getting targeted for swim swaps. And, and, and that's something you need to realize that, Hey, there's some weird SMS from my provider saying that I changed something, you know, that's something you need to immediately, you need to immediately think, oh, this is really, it's a huge deal. It's a big problem. Awareness is, is always keeping in the company. And, you know, for example, we, we have, we are usually once a month or sometimes usually once every two weeks, we have an awareness session where we, where we go over some of the phishing that we've received as a company, but also some of the incidents that happened uh, in the industry as a whole and in, in the world. Um, and, and that creates this sense of urgency with device. I think that that's, that's really important. Secondly, and, and this, this is going to sound extremely corporate. But doing ISO audits of your 20,000, 27,001, it's, 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 it's good practice. 
I just, it's, it's gotta be, a, it's a ridiculous hassle. You have to write all that, all these procedures and so on. And half of these procedures, you're not going to check, but making sure that people have to obey and like, like just make that the, the audit is actually a very good checklist on, on what, what is the base level of security that you need to ask. So does it, um, yeah. do you get a certificate Sorry. from somewhere or can you just find this checklist from somewhere and just manually go through it as just as a best practice sort of a thing? So, so you can go, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a, it's an ISO standard. So you can just go that you also get a certificate for it. And I, and, and from, from a founder's perspective, I can tell you that there's a lot of companies, especially in to be B2B space that requires you to have this certificate if you're uh, handling data at all. So it, and it's similar to SOC 2 in the US basically, but ISO is a, is a slightly big internet standard, but SOC 2 is, it has a similar audit uh, perspective. I'm not sure if you know SOC 2. Yes, I've heard of it, but I haven't looked into it. Yeah. It's it, again, I, I, I've gone through these audits myself. It's always a hassle. It's always, you know, you're, you're getting pointed on the smallest mistakes and procedures that are not, not, not proper, but in the, in the end, it's, it's a very good thorough way to, to make sure that, that you have your, at least, at least on the baseline, you have your security in place, obviously. And that, and that it really becomes back to specific on sort of, if you're looking at tech founders, but in, in web two, you can take much more relevant technical inquiries to, to make sure that, that your platform is safe for the web three in, in web two. I mean, for example, at Lightbit, we had, we had certain measures, whereas there was, there was time and differences between two FA. So even if a user would get fished, they would need to find two, two FA codes with 10 minutes between each other. Well, imagine if you're going to get fished, you know, getting, getting a fish in is not that difficult, but being fished twice and then in 10 minutes, that is, that is definitely not, not as easy as, 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 as just normal fishing. The problem in Web3 is that there's usually not, not necessarily that requirement. Like you said, you log in once with your MetaMask and everything is done. So it, it, it really boils down to a lot of responsibility being with the user. That's part of, of being part of the Web3. Yes, yes, it's, it's absolutely. A lot of responsibility moves to the user. What I always uh, tell the first people that, that I introduce into the space and that I tell them, you know, you need to have MetaMask or some other wallets if you want to use bookmarks, the importance protocols. Bookmark whatever websites you think is, 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 is the website you're going to use and make sure that whenever you log in, don't go via Twitter link. Don't go on the, on the, on the email link. Just go to your bookmark. You're, you're always certain that it's the right one. Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple more questions. And that is that, you know how you mentioned that you have like this monthly awareness meeting inside your company where you share some, I don't know, latest vulnerabilities or latest things happening. Do you have examples of any of the latest things happening recently? I mean, you don't have to, of course, name a company or anything like that. Anything that you've come across, what was the last few things that you came across that's happening? So, so this was not necessarily discussed in the company update, but it's, it's one reason that I'll not name the company because I think it's not necessarily fair to the founders, but exactly. um, it's, it's something that I, I do want to warn uh, founders that are listening and are in the back in their space. So one of the most common ways to get access to it, to, to basically completely take over a website or a platform is not necessarily by hacking into the platform, but by hacking into your DNS account, right? So this was a, this was a web three company around hundred million in market cap. So, so quite a significant small and also a, a lot of liquidity around it. And, and, and someone got into their GoDaddy account. 
And from that GoDaddy account, someone was able to change the name servers to their phishing websites and, and just copied the full website there, right? And, and what happened was that the users, they would just go to, to the normal website that they had bookmarks and everything. But, and, and I didn't realize until that they, that they lost all their coins, that it was actually that some of the time was viciously taken off the website. And I, I and, know and, and, exactly uh, the company you're talking about. I will not name it, <laughs> but I know because I'm, uh, I was in their discord and I saw everything unfold. <laughs> it was crazy, crazy times for them. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure if we're talking about the same, because I can name four examples in the Netherlands only. Really, and, and 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 this was this was a very recent event. It's, this it's was the GoDaddy, not any yeah, other hosting. This was GoDaddy, precisely. Yeah, there's some GoDaddy. <laughs> but I mean, Go, Go, GoDaddy is a very big provider. But, but the point yeah. is that, that looking at security, and and I, I've been hacked myself three times, and luckily, yeah. where every time there's there's multiple layers of, of defense, and I mean, we never lost any user funds. So, but, but there's always things that you forget about. There's always things that are not necessarily on your mind or within scope. And if you're building an amazing, technically defended platform with a, with a very strong firewall around it, you don't realize that just by changing your DNS servers, all your defenses are suddenly gone, right? And, and this is where a more holistic approach to to this, these types of audits is, is required, but it's extremely difficult. And then there's always going to be like these weak spots where you don't necessarily realize that there's, there are weak spots. But yeah, I, I gotta give you another example, but we, we, we were working with it with another hosting uh, company and that hosting company got an email stating that they, we had to reset the root password and against all odds. The, the malicious hackers were able to convince those things that their Gmail account came from our corporate environment and actually those in companies sent the, the root password to them. And, and, and this is something that is extremely difficult to protect against because there were contracts in place, there were procedures in place that those in company, all these things were in place that those in company were allowed to do this and still they did because it's, there's a human element to it. The only thing that you can do at that point is monitor, recognize threats from the inside as well, and just build multiple layers of defense. Never have a single entry point as a risk. Yep. Yep. I think that's, that's excellent um, advice. The, another thing that you mentioned on your website is, is about autonomous hacking. What does it mean and how does it work? Yeah. I, so again, so it's a little bit of the marketing, sorry, but, but basically it's, it's, it's yeah. what, what I uh, described earlier in, in the, in the podcast is where we, we, we went, uh, where, where we start to recognize threats from threats that we analyze and we autonomously simulate those attacks on your attack service, uh, and then provide you with the results and the insights around it. Again, it's where, where we, we think that we differ from the existing external attack service management companies is where external attack service management is currently the companies that are out there are very focused on understanding where you're, where you're potentially attackable. One is the, one are the attack factors that, that it, that people can use to approach you, which is interesting by itself. We're, we're not arguing that, you know, it's a shitty product. We're arguing that by itself, that is actually extremely difficult to extract value from because you're just going to get a massive list and you have no clue what to do with it, right? If you're looking at a bank, you're, you're talking about usually between 20 and, and 50,000 endpoints. So you're going to give that to some security analyst and what, what is he or she going to do with it? No one knows. 
So by adding the, the autonomous hacking or the, the autonomous threat simulation on top of that, it's, it's in, in, immediately what we try to accomplish is that whatever data we can provide with you is going to be much more relevant and easier to prioritize. Um, and that's where the autonomous hacking goes. Yep. Yeah. Another question I have is like, you know how there is the, the SOC 2 or the, the IS audit. Is there um, a special or a different audit for Web3 startups or is it still the same? They should still look for the SOC 2 if they're operating in US. Is there like they should look for, I don't know, Certic security or I don't know, something like that audit or yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you recommend? It's a good question. So I mean, SOC 2 and, and, and ISO and all those sense, they are very focused on, on, on basically web two time yeah. applications, right? So yeah. it's, 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 and it's also, it's, it's, it, there is this company element of having procedures in place at which I think it's good to have, but it's also not necessarily extremely critical if you don't like, okay, you know, it's more important when the, the, the more vital part of the audit is, is, is the checking really whether people are implementing the two phase, if people are, if there's, if there's proper permission systems in place, also, so, so, so stuff. if you have some other lists or checklists that you, you trust more to, to go over it, yeah. you know, go ahead and use that list. It's yeah. more about just having them. I'm just, so you can check. Yeah, I'm just trying to find out um, what's the web three list. <laughs> what's the web three so, checklist I should look for. <laughs> and, and I, 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 love, I, I'd love to, I, I'd love, I'd love to tell you something about this. They're really. As far as I know, there's not really a, a very strong checklist that protects, protects the users and companies at a similar level. There is a technical checklist on how to build smart contracts and so on, which is, it's more of, you know, for the one Go developer, the one uh, developer that actually builds the, the smart contracts to your companies, it, it, it might be a relevant checklist to go over it, but it's not something that as a company you can implement similar ways and similar fashion. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's an untapped market, I would say, but it's also an extremely difficult market to, to, to go into as a company because the responsibility is so heavily pushed towards the users. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's the massive difference, I guess, between Web 2 and Web 3, where I personally also not necessarily the biggest fan of, whereas the, that, 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 where in the, in the existing Web 2 world, you know, banks and everything, they did a lot of very bad stuff and we're, we're, we're kind of, at least some, some, our generation, I consider to be having a bit of hassle with that. But the Web3 is, is, is pushing so much of that responsibility around security and around, you know, being able to handle threats and, and being able to, to be under attack personally as well. Uh, that, that's probably something that will change as the market matures. But right now it, it's, it's something that yeah. pushes me away from the industry that I don't necessarily recommend my mom start using something in the web3 space because <laughs> yeah. the chance of something going wrong is just too big you know it is and, it and, is. and it's... look everyone that i know who has been in the web3 space or blockchain or crypto or anything whatever however you want to call it in the last eight years they have lost money at some stage i've been in this industry for so long i had like Crypto kitties in 2017 that I <laughs> first generation ones and I lost my because I stopped playing after a while the hype ran out and and then for three four years I didn't touch them so I of course I forgot my <laughs> MetaMask and then I no longer had the phones the laptops my company was changed email was changed everything was different so <laughs> I lost them and there's so many people I've known in fact I was talking with the founder of 
Dapper Lads or Crypto Kitties. And he lost 200 cats himself. <laughs> I mean, this is the founder of the project. <laughs> so it's like, he said, oh, you don't yeah. have to worry about it. So it's like, it's everyone, everyone I know has, and this has been in for ages, has lost, has lost money, has lost to, because... Yeah, it's like there is no customer service. Who, who are you going to call? <laughs> are you going to call Bitcoin's customer service if you lose your password? <laughs> you know, if your bank, you lose your password or whatever, then, you know, you can call. Or if something, a credit card transaction you don't recognize in your bank statement or something, you immediately call that, hey, someone's using, can you block? <laughs> I mean, here, if you give your digital wallet to someone, that, that's it. That's the end. You just wash your hands off, <laughs> start all over again. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's just the and and then, and there, there there is a couple of companies that take a lot of responsibility away from the user, right? So we're talking about the big centralized exchanges. They do a lot of work in, in terms of entire transaction admission, but they also they pay out a lot of damages if, if something goes wrong and they consider themselves at fault. But then the question really becomes: How much better are they compared to what we had, right? Oh, that, and, and that's not that, a typical question, but. No, yeah, um, bank. I had money in three exchanges that closed down <laughs> in 2017, 18. So a lot of the exchanges did fold as well and run away because, because they, sometimes they were highly leveraged and they were lending out money or if as soon as there was a equivalent scenario to run on the bank, whenever there is, you know, some uncertainty, but in the banks that are too big to fail, the government rescues them. In a crypto exchange that are not too big to fail, no one cares. It's like it's your responsibility if the exchange goes down, yeah. you go down with it. <laughs> so so that is that is a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And that's why I do believe that whenever there are problems, I don't see them as problems. I see them as opportunity to for smart people like you <laughs> to go and build companies to solve the problems. <laughs> and when the problems are such big financially, people will pay. People will pay for custodial accounts and people will pay for all sorts of things. And there will be funds where people can trust them and people can invest in those funds and those funds will hold the money for you. I mean, or crypto money for you or, or however you want to say it digital assets for you. And, and all these things are going to, to happen over time in, in our lifetime or in the next year or two. Um, it's, it's already, it's, it's already, already happening. happening. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is when we're looking at innovation as a whole and the Web3, you know, wave coming yes. now and, and into our lives, what, what are the aspects of Web2 that we didn't like that we want to change, right? And, and one of those aspects is always. It's, it's, it's about, well, one of the things was, was about being in control, right? Telling us being in control over our own finances, being in control over our own ownership and, 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 and so that's something that I, I'm actually a very big supporter of. I, 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 I really strongly believe that, that, that control, bringing that back to, to the individual is, is a very good thing. However, we need to realize that as the early adopters, and I, I still think that well, we might not be in the, in the very early adopter curve anymore, but as the early adopters, being in control, it gives you rights and gives you protections, right? So it gives me the control that I wanted, but it also puts me into a place where I have responsibility now myself, where I, I, I am actually responsible for making sure that my money is safe. Just as before we had banks, people you know, might have been storing value on a, um, in cash on a mattress or whatever. Yes. Then that you are in control, but 
now it's, it's, it's you. And in 2013, that was the first time that I, you know, got in touch with that with, with the Mount Cox. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've yes. heard this. I, I, of course, there. I remember yeah. all that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, with Mount Cox, there was also like, there was a, that one of the biggest crypto exchange in the world. But that, like, there was, there was yeah, no that one really competing it. Yeah. And there were two competing it, actually. There was Spritzy and there was BCE, and both of them fell a year or two late. So there, there was this big aspect of not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So yeah. people pushed you to get your Bitcoin on, onto your private phones but, um, and, 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 and devices and, and so on. But it puts responsibility with, with yourselves. And, and, it, and it also implies that a lot of people lost their coins because the computer fight and it didn't have proper backups and, yeah. or, you know, you'll, you'll hear those stories about people accidentally throwing away a hard drive and they're looking, scouring, uh, like, like, the trash cans to find, find, to find, find an old hard drive. Yeah. There's still like two event on all of Bitcoin on it is, it, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting balance that we have to strike as an industry where it's to say, okay, there's this aspect wanting to have control, like that's the, for me, one of the most important drivers for this, that three wave. Yes. But also understanding that that control implies responsibility and we need to figure out a way as a group of innovators, how can we make sure that that responsibility is properly understood? Yeah. Right? Because right now I, 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 I strongly believe that, that people don't underest, they don't understand the risk that they face sometimes with regard to security, but also with regard to some of the aspects that's, you know, recently the Luna blow up was, I think it's a good example of how people consider it to be completely restricted. Yeah, obviously, because so, so we need to strike a balance by, by building something and as an innovator saying, okay, you are in control. That implies responsibility. Here is how I explain to you what that responsibility means to you. Now you can either accept, take a responsibility and receiving the control. Or you can choose to say, okay, this is too early for me. I'm going to wait a bit until data vendors make even better solutions and even, you know, safer environments and better ecosystems. And then I'm going to participate in this, in this bad three point dollars crazy. That, that, that's but kind of the, also the base where we currently in, in, in switch from early adopters to, to, to now and, 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 and now basically mass adoption, we're not there yet, even remotely close, but. That's, that's the, the, the phase is where you have to move through to get there. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we, we are still very, very early. It's like, you know, we are 1% of the world. It's um, just yesterday I was talking with someone. She is like an educator in the crypto world. And, and while on the, on the zoom call, her dad was calling her because her dad has just got an iPhone and doesn't know how to use the iPhone. So people are still learning how to use a smartphone. So trust me, it's like my mom, she uses Facebook because all boomers use Facebook and then she never remembers her password. And so every time she wants to log into Facebook, she just creates a new account. <laughs> I cannot expect her to use MetaMask and be creating a new account every time. It's not going to work, you know. <laughs> Because she doesn't remember. <laughs> so it's it's just not going to happen for a lot of people. Yeah, too much responsibility for, yeah, for people who are still just learning <laughs> to use a smartphone or Facebook or something like that. And, and also it doesn't necessarily need 
that, that it doesn't mean that they will never participate in the Web 3.0 ecosystem. Right? It just means that there will always be place for companies that that are building bridges between Web 2 and Web 3 environments, right? So, yeah. I, I, I mean, we, we earlier talked about what, what's, what level of trust should we give to decentralized exchanges and or centralized exchanges and centralized yeah. brokers and banks? And are they similar? And I believe that, that, that a centralized exchange is similar to a bank. But I'll yeah. say it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Banks yeah. are also created initially to, to basically support globalization. And, and, you know, because of banks, we, we have an economy. Right? Oh, exactly. And, and obviously yeah. there's, no a, there's a, there's a, there's a, yeah. yeah, no banks. There's a lot of things economy. wrong with there's a lot of things wrong with the existing banking system, right? They took yeah. too much of the of the, of the pie. But with centralized exchanges, we have we have also we have the opportunity to basically reinvent how we how we what what type of responsibility we want to give to those centralized exchanges for them to build bridges between Web two and Web three environments and ecosystems. Yes. Uh, oh, 100%. And in that way, in, in that way, we can have participate in, yes. in these types of, of I, I can tell you, obviously, like my mom invested in, in Bitcoin and a long time ago, was, she did very well in, in timing wise. And she also first used a, a centralized vault, right? There's yeah. no, she, she's not going to use some, some app on the phone or, or yeah. private keys and, and, and words. It's, it's also difficult. It's, and, and, and she's not ready to take that responsibility. Uh, with regards to our personal security. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a, there is, that's why there's always going to be a huge space for custodial accounts and all, all sorts of solutions where they're looked after by someone who knows what they are doing and stuff. So let, let me ask you this question. You know, you've got all this experience, all these years of working in tech. If you were a young person just starting out, and you had to give advice to that young person, what advice would you give them? <laughs> what should they do? Uh, Sam, I'm 26, son. I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel that I, 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 yeah, I got to myself. So you started really early. <laughs> I started, I started early. So the first thing I, I say is that I, I, I learned myself how to develop technology very young. Um, and yeah. I've not really written code since 2016, so it's been, it's been a good six years ago. And, but, but I still use the logic in approaching problems every yeah. day of my life. And, and that's one of the things that I think is, is it's not measurable in how valuable that approach is, but being able to look at massive problems and it, and, and, and it's split it up and, and just start tackling parts of solutions, parts of problems in a, in a very systematic approach, I think it's immensely valuable in, in any problem you will ever solve. And, and learning in a very young uh, age to, to develop or to program is similar to learning as a, a second or third language at a young age, right? It, yeah. it's, it, it comes relatively easy. And, and, and you told me your son is already learning how to make a little game. I mean, there's, there's really, a, there's amazing companies that uh, are in the, in the ad tech space that are building, especially for Oh yeah. He's learning everything online. Yeah. 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 Yes. And, and, and I love that. And uh, I would have loved to have that when I was younger. I had to figure out everything by myself. I, I had a cousin actually that, that, that told me almost everything I knew at the time, which was, was immensely lucky. Obviously yeah. most people don't necessarily have someone that, that can take you up like that. But, but that's something that I always recommend, you know, learn yourself how to develop, not necessarily to write code, but to understand how to yeah. structurally approach these types of problems. 
And, and then also, you know, if you then end up working in a tech startup and, and not necessarily on the tech side of teams, you at least, you, you, you have the level of knowledge and understanding that exactly. you know that if someone is bullshitting you, you can cut call them out. <laughs> exactly. And, and it just, even it makes your brain sharper, as you said, you know, it's like learning another language and it's like, I already see him using all these different types of like logic and different loops and different variables and different, you know, nesting them inside each other and doing all sorts of things that, yeah, that I didn't know until I was much, much later in my age and, and to grasp that concepts. And he's growing up with all these sort of concepts and, and stuff. So yeah, it, it just, he would be able to use this in, in real life in other places. So yeah, hundred percent. I I agree with you that that's like the number one thing. What's been the most challenging part of building a a tech startup in the security space for you? That's a very good question. The most challenging part. So yeah. I mean, in the end, in the end, what makes a good company is 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 people, right? Yeah, um, and that goes for 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 any company, in my opinion. There might be different opinions on this, but this is how I how I feel building startups, it's, 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 it's basically all about talent management. But if I look around my day-to-day -day job, I'm, I'm doing three things, right? As a CEO of this company, I have three main responsibilities. I need to make sure that we are funded. That's one. Yes. That means that I need to convince investors to invest in us. That's That's my sales role, basically. Yes. Then secondly, I need to find the talent and, and also convince them. To, to join the company, which is also similar to a sales role. And then the third thing, and, and, and that's really it. That's my role. The third thing is I need to make decisions and it doesn't have to be the right decisions. Preferably they are the right decisions, but it's, it's more about creating focus and clarity that the decision is has to be made. And, and in the startup, the good part about it, and then at least if you set it up the, the right way, is that the wrong decision is not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that they ask them to change your mind and start interacting on something yeah, else. Exactly. But, but that is, that is absolutely the toughest part of finding the balance around those two things. And, and also all the other things that, that might come your way and then you have to resolve, you, you should consider as a lesser priority and, and, and not necessarily something you should allocate a lot, a lot of time to. No, it's, 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 it's a very famous book. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. Seven Habits of Effective Shit Fun. By Stephen Covey. Exactly. And, and one of the, I mean, there's many really good thoughts experiments in the book, but one of the, the ones that I really like is, is where he says, okay, start listing your priorities on the left and then on the right, just start counting the time you spend on different activities during the day. And you'll figure out that there's absolutely a massive mismatch between what are your priorities. And that, that, that can be work related, can be family, can, you know, can, can be anything. Yeah. And what are you actually allocating to your time towards? And, and, yeah. and I think that that's something that I, you know, early on in, in, in building my bids and, uh, but also now with Hadrian, one of the things that I learned is, okay, what should I spend most time on? It, it, it just goes, it just goes for all your life, but it also very much goes for, for, for being a silent founder. And that's, that's, that's why I like it a lot. And, and it also means that sometimes you have to stop working on some things that you love doing. And, and in my case, it's, you know, I love building uh, technology that, that breaks stuff. You know, I love to hack, but in reality, I also have a team of seven hackers and, 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 and 20 other engineers around that, that and I'm building that technology already and your product managers manage to get product. If I would get involved in those six hours a week that I have time left to 
potentially get involved in that, I would create noise in that team and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make things more productive. So instead, I should really focus on my core priorities and I need to support people where I can. And, and it's obviously, you know, all of that, but it, there's three, three main, um, priorities for me. And that, that's where I should spend most of my time. Man, you have wisdom beyond your years. <laughs> I can tell you, I meet so many people in their forties and fifties who are CEOs of their company and they are not doing that and they're getting pulled in other directions. You say that the three things, the hiring, making sure, I mean, you call it fundraising. It could be money through cash flow, could be money through revenue, could be money through selling assets, could be money through any way, but that keeps the lights on in the company. You know, that is the the key sales and and then the number three, making decisions. And it does not matter how to be right because you can always pivot, you can always improve, but not taking decision paralyzes companies and stops the growth. That is that is so good. That is gold. My another question is that I mean this is not nothing serious, but I have I'm yet to meet someone in in tech who is not a gamer or who wasn't a gamer before. <laughs> Were you a gamer in your have you been a gamer in your life? <laughs> So I, I, I've, I've played a lot of games. I, I'm not, not, not a typical gamer. I play a lot, probably too much chess. And I consider that to be a game. And some, some, some people that it's, it's not, not a typical online game. Um, and, and other strategy games, uh, I'm a big fan of, um, yeah. I'm not a typical, uh, Diablo three, uh, type of player. I, yeah. I, I yeah. usually don't, uh, what type of strategy games? Civilization uh, is a game that yeah. I played a lot, probably too much. Total War. Uh, yeah. Age of Empires 2. Yeah. So, uh, Those sounds of, they, they are online games, but it's, the, the, the advantage for me is, and it, it basically, it, it ties a bit back into the point around time management, right? If you have some of these games that just take hours and hours to the day, and, and I understand, you know, that people, people like it and, and, and I fully support people doing whatever they want to be doing in the life. For me, I, I felt like I, it just, it, it bores me a bit at some point because I feel like I should be doing something or something. But yeah, I, I, I have a very good friends and one of those a product manager at EA and, uh, you know, he, he Basically, places in all life. That's his life, and and and, and he's, he's he's extremely productive. He's just saying, you know, I'm doing some market research. Yeah, uh, and then you know, I, I love him for it. So uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, not not your typical massive game. No, yeah, yeah. No, no. But uh, like a lot of for a lot of people in in tech, it started with games, and games introduced them to computers, and then they that's where their love for computers and technology started, is by playing games <laughs> and things like that. So, but no, that's, that's very cool. Finally, do you have a ask? Is there anything you are looking for? I don't know, investment, team members, custom, anything, just feel free to. But the, the right talents can always, is always welcome. Uh, in fact, so we recently raised another round, which we're super happy with and, and, and the companies is, uh, even though you see the economy is a little bit in a downturn, we're super happy with the runway didn't have in that attraction. Yes. But I, I would turn a, a, turn a question around, like, guys, please reach out to me. If you have a web three startup, if you have a web two startup and you're worried about your security, you know, help on a call with me. And it's, it's not going to cost you anything if I just don't bladder. Blah, 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 and, and tell you what to do. You can ignore my advice. You know, that's a good thing about advice. You can always ignore it. Uh, but feel free to reach out and I'm happy to help out. 
Yeah, definitely. I'll put the I'll put the links in the in the description wherever this goes so that people can reach out to you or, or to your company. Yeah, I did see about, you just mentioned about funding that you guys got funding from Village Global and how did you make the connection or or how did they come yep. to invest in you? That's a good bit. So we raised uh, at the very early stage in like the first month that we were founded uh, last year and we recently had very close to around to just undisclosed yet, uh, in the sense that we've not announced the investors yet. But so Village Global was, uh, it's a very, very nice investment to VC in the Valley. And I think that the, I'm, I'm not sure, remember how I got intro to them, but I must say that I was massively impressed with their team and, and how they acted on, on our pitch. And, 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 and that's, that, that is unique there's, there's not that many investment companies that are so flexible. That's one. And also quick in, 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 in actions. So if I remember correctly, it was 4 PM on a Thursday, the Thursday afternoon that I pitched them for the first time. And then on Friday, I was pitching the partner and also in the afternoon and an hour later, we had a term sheet in our inbox. Uh, that is the basic, which was, which was obviously was great for us because we, you know, I, I, you know, I also, but food racing is, is not necessarily my, you know, what I enjoy to do. I know it's important. So that's why I spend a lot of time to it, but it's not necessarily what I like to do. And this just meant, you know, that we had, we had a very, very nice terms to just go and build this product. And we had some, uh, some other investors as well with Slimmer in, in the Netherlands, which is uh, a very good partner of us as well. They, they invested in the most recent brand as well. They built their own techno AI technology and their AI companies. It's more because and, and venture studio, and they're really good in helping us out with some of the NLD research that we're doing into recognizing some of the, the threats of on the decks that we're looking at. So overall, we're, we're actually super happy with the partners that we have. We lucked out on that one. Oh no, that's, that's fantastic. That's great to hear. I just want to say, wish you guys the, yeah, the best of luck in, in whatever you guys are doing and keeping people safe <laughs> and yeah, let's, let's connect back again after, after some time and see how you guys have progressed and what's happening in the world of <laughs> security and hacking and all that. Perfect. Thank you so much for the time, Sam. And I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. You know the drill. Leave a comment. Please subscribe or share it with a friend. Now, if you are building something really interesting in this space, then reach out to me. My DMs are open. I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform. Just go and search for my name. Reach out to me. I would love to help you. I would love to have a conversation with you if time permits. So having said that, I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building. I know that about 35 to 40% of my listeners are founders themselves. So I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation.